This is Hungry Gen Podcast, and I just want to thank you for joining us today. Here at HG, our vision is to see thousands saved locally and millions globally. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Let's just start with we should introduce a little bit about ourselves. So, so for about 20 years now, we have embarked. I'm a lawyer by training. Shanti was an analyst on Wall Street. Um, and about 20 years ago, we kind of stumbled onto this idea of can we research why men and women kind of don't understand each other? And what can we kind Nobody of... Nobody knows what you're talking yeah, about. <laughs> what, what can we kind of add to the conversation? So for the last 20 years, we've been doing these nationally representative research studies. And that's been kind of our gig here. People, people understand yep. one another. Yep. And so we're going to actually, we're going to review a scripture that for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard this. Some of you may never have really read this before. If you have a Bible, if you have your Bible app, let's open the word to Genesis 2 right back at the very beginning. And we are going to watch our God create the institution of marriage, okay? We're going to be talking, as Pastor Vlad said, we are going to be talking today, whether you're married, whether you're not, whether you were married, you're not anymore, whether you're hoping to be married, whatever you think, hopefully this will encourage you. But we need to start at the beginning, okay? We need to watch what God does here. So start in Genesis 2, we're going to start with verse 18, and then we're going to skip to verse 21. Then the Lord, so I need to say, by the way, just to set it up for those of you who aren't as quite, quite as familiar, as God was creating the world and he was creating the sky and the animals and night and day, and he was creating these things and he kept saying, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then we come to this curious verse, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is, who is just right for him. And then skip to verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. Our former pastor said this was essentially Adam going hubba hubba, right? Like that's what that means. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And so what, this is the institu- creation of the institution and the exactly, covenant of marriage. Because God values marriage. I mean, from the very beginning, he brought a husband and a wife together, desiring for them to experience oneness. And beyond that, I mean, if we move forward a few thousand years into the New Testament, we have Paul saying that this institution of marriage is a reflection of Christ and the church, that relationship. So today we are going to be covering three points about this covenant, about this institution that God created for our good and for his glory Right? We're going to be looking at three really important points. And I would honestly suggest take some notes in your phone. Write down a couple of the things we're talking about. Because I can guarantee if you're anything like Pastor Vlad or anything like us, when you start hearing some of the truth, you're going to be like, I want to capture this. I don't want to forget it. Okay? So the three points that we're going to be covering today, we're going to be talking about the big picture hope for marriage, for this institution that God has created. And then second, the actual truth about the state of marriages today, because I can guarantee that for many of us, it's different than what we think, okay? And then the third, we're going to cover just a couple 
practical things that we can do sort um, of ways that God has designed a, a little marriage to taste thrive. of what we did yesterday correct a little kind similar to a, a couple taste. of the things that we talked about yesterday. so yeah I, I don't know about you all, but I, I love stories. I love hearing people's stories. We, we sat with Mariana and Ilya, Ilya you know, yesterday, yesterday oh, and he an told us the story. story of the church. And it's fascinating. It's hope-filled. It's inspiring. So let's, I want to start this by telling you a little story. When our daughter was in um, elementary school and, and uh, middle school, she had a best friend, best friend named Meredith. Meredith was the daughter of a woman named Ellen. Ellen was a single mom with three kids that she was responsible for raising. And as part of our two kids being friends, Shanti reached out to Ellen and became someone that they could talk together and they became close friends over those couple of years. Ellen wanted to be remarried and eventually met a wonderful godly man and you know, they were moving toward marriage. And she confessed to Shanti. She said, look, I am not naive. I see what's happening in the culture. I know the state of marriage. I know the statistics. I know the significantly high failure rate that second marriages have based on just the research or the data that's out there. So I'm going to enter into this. We're going to get married, but I think it's just wise for me to kind of keep a second bank account on the side so that if he does flake out, even though he's a good man, it appears right now, I'm going to protect my kids. I'm going to protect myself. And what do you think about that, Shanti? And we'll tell you what we think about that in just a minute. (laughs) Because... What she was doing is when it comes to marriages, when it comes to really any relationship, anything that we're doing in our lives, but we're talking specifically about this covenant of marriage, we take action based on what we think is true. Let me say that again. We take actions based on what we think is true, but what if what we're thinking is not true? We're going to take the wrong action. And when it comes to marriages, our entire culture today is filled with all of this concern and all this negativity and all of this discouraging stuff. Everybody here has heard this kind of stuff. We hear, for example, Marriages are in trouble. We hear things are falling apart. I guarantee you've read a news article or something somewhere that says, well, you know, in an era when divorce rates are rising, right? Like you hear those kinds of things. You hear people writing about a 50% divorce rate. Who here has heard the conventional wisdom that 50% of marriages end in divorce? Seriously, raise your hand. And I'm gonna ask another question. Many people, yeah. How many have shared that information with others? I know we I sure have. did. We sure did. Yeah. And we hear also, he, he here has heard that the rate of divorce is the same in the church. Raise your hand. Seriously, if no you've difference. heard that. Okay, no, no difference. difference. And we hear, <laughs> we hear something else. We hear marriage is just complicated, right? Like it takes a PhD in psychotherapy and a minor in mind reading, right? <laughs> to, to like manage, to manage marriage. And we take actions based on all those beliefs that we think are true. And so our friend Ellen, it was perfectly logical, in air quotes, logical in her mind, when you think that you are going into a marriage with a wonderful Christian man, but, you know, 60, 70% of remarriages end in divorce, she thought. And so for her, she thinks, you know, I need to create a bank account on the side because statistically, I need to be able to protect my kids because the chances aren't really that good. Or maybe you're a single and you've been really kind of standing back and wondering whether marriage is a good idea or not. And so you're in a relationship now and you think, well, maybe we're going to move towards marriage, but I'm going to keep a part of my heart kind of closed off, right? I'm not going to be completely all in 
because I need to protect myself emotionally. And what our friend Ellen, what I told her that day, and what a single in that situation might be doing, what you're doing with those things because of what you believe to be true, you're creating a wall. And you are, as you're building that wall, you are creating a lack of trust and you're going to cause the problem that you're trying to protect yourself from, okay? We so often do that because we are acting out of fear. And it turns out that one of the reasons this is so tragic, the enemy has so gotten in there with these beliefs that we, we share about this institution that God created We are so sure that there's all this negative news. And here's the reality. Almost all of those things that I mentioned, so much of that, it's news. It's not truth. It's news, but it is not truth. Now, by the way, before we go, because we're going to share some encouraging things, don't get me wrong. Don't hear me saying that there aren't marriage challenges. Of course there are, right? And if you're dealing with issues in your marriage, I mean, it can be, it can be, it can all, it can be hard work. It it needs some, sometimes a lot of effort. But the truth, I'm not minimizing that, but the truth is God wants amazing things for his children. God has good gifts for his children. And and the other point also that we, we try to always share is that, look, if you've gone that route where divorce was Yeah, the was option, your reality. Absolutely. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. So you know. But what we want you to do is to be filled with the right information. Yeah, the truth. Going forward, the truth. So we've been doing these research studies, as I said, for about 20 years now. And if one were to kind of boil down everything that we've kind of been learning. There are lots of factors that go into having marriage issues, but as far as the, what really kind of shapes the outcome of these um, points in our marriages, in our lives, is whether or not the couple has a sense of hope in their marriage. If you have a sense of hope, you can kind of get through anything. Without hope, though, if it's replaced with futility, if the sense is it's never going to work, it's just always going to keep going down, that's kind of the way it works with us as humans. So what can we do? Because we have to to replace that sense of futility with truth. Because here's what happens. I'm just going to kind of call it out. If... If, if you have a sense, like you've been hopeful and then things get hard, things get hard, you think most marriages end in divorce, you think we're probably not gonna make it, here is when it starts to become really toxic. It's when you start to think, you know what? The ship is gonna sink anyway. Because once you start to think the ship is gonna sink anyway, then you start thinking, and this is where the enemy starts, I would say whispering, but it's actually shouting. (laughs) This is where the enemy starts saying, if the ship is going to sink anyway, why bother working so hard to bail it out? Right? Like it's better to use all that energy to escape the wreck intact, right? And yet it is based on this lie, this conventional wisdom that marriages are in trouble, And that we have, the problem is, we have a culture-wide feeling of futility about marriage. And so we are going to share with you some really good news truth because we want you to be ambassadors for the truth and to be able to encourage those who the enemy is trying to destine for destruction. So let's replace that false narrative that we've heard and replace it with hope and start by debunking some of these myths. Great. So Shanti had, um, she's written a book. She wrote it how, how many years ago? This is about? Uh, almost, almost 10. 10. Almost 10 okay. years. Yep. So I'll let you give the background of it. But <clears throat> this particular book um, was based on, 
you know, what are those things that we think we know about marriage that may not actually be true? So what are some of those myths? So the book is called The Good News About Marriage, and it's about debunking the five myths that have discouraging impact on our lives and what we think about marriage. And, um, you know, how you, why don't we, let me just say that it was complicated, <laughs> really complicated. It was, really complicated. It, was, it was heavy lifting as far as statistical analysis. So I was no help to her in that. I went to law school, so I didn't have to do math. She was an f- analyst on Wall Street. Math was kind of something she did. She loves statistics and figuring things out. I'm a numbers out. nerd. I That's can't help it. That's what she is. So as we talk about this, what we're going to do is I'm going to act as kind of the tour guide for you all. And I'm going to ask you like I'm interviewing her on some of these things. And she's going to answer and I won't have to talk numbers. <laughs> so how did this kind of come about? So the way that I started into this was I was actually a newspaper columnist a number of years ago. You guys remember newspapers, you know, those things that were printed on paper? Like, remember that back in the day? Yeah. The people here who are under 30 are like, no, (laughs) no, don't remember that. But we had, I was a syndicated columnist. We had, um, our column was in 90, 95 papers around the country and I was doing a column one day on divorce and talking about divorce. And I thought, you know, we had been doing relationship research for um, years at this point, And I wanted to correctly cite the divorce rate, you know, because everybody knows it's about 50%. Um, but, you know, maybe it's not actually 50. You know, maybe it's 48.7, right? Like, I wanted to actually cite it. So I went to the Census Bureau and the CDC has like a... Bureau of Vital Statistics, and there's all these different sort of government entities where you can find all sorts of numbers if you're a columnist and you want accurate data. And as I'm looking through all of these charts and graphs and numbers, I'm like, wait a minute, (laughs) because none of this matches the narrative. Like, none of this shows me anything close to a 50% divorce. Like, not even in the same ballpark. And I started to think, because we have been doing all these research interviews and talking to average people for years and seeing this sense of futility itself can kill a marriage, I started to go, whoa, like, if this isn't true, this is a really big deal. And isn't that just like our enemy? Mm. To tell a lie. And to tell it so well that even the people of God believe it and yes. help spread it. Yes. And so this is, when, we, when I share this, these, the data in secular context, I don't say this part. Um, but I'll tell you guys, this, as I started diving into this, not only was this incredibly complicated, but I felt like, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me stop. Like, keep going, keep digging, keep investigating. And I realized eventually, it took me eight years to figure this out. It was so complicated. And I realized, you know what? The average pastor, when he's looking, he doesn't have years to spend trying to figure out the truth. You know, he has 20 or 30 minutes in, you know, research as he's preparing for a sermon. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, this is so crucial for the people of God to be able to be people of truth in this area. So we're going to talk about five myths. Yes. We're going to probably not touch on all of them. Two or really three. have the time. Two or three. Okay. So okay. Let's, let's start with the big one. What okay. is the actual divorce rate? Okay. Can you go somewhere and look and they've got a line item that says no. divorce rate? No. That's one of the reasons why this is so complicated. No one knows exactly what the divorce rate is in part because it completely depends 
on how you define the divorce rate. Is it the percentage of people who are going to get divorced eventually? Is it the percentage of people in any room who have been divorced? Is it the people who, um, you know, of a certain age bracket, if you look at from this age to this age or divorced within a certain period of time? Is it the men's version of any of those things or the women's version? Because believe it or not, men and women have different divorce rates. Anyway, <laughs> I know, it's all very complicated. And, and so... When, we, when I started looking for what is, the, to me, the best way of explaining a logical divorce rate, one of the best numbers that I saw, because could, I could quote 20 things to you, but one of the best that I saw, which is a good conservative kind of in the middle number, is this one. Um, as, and this is as of 10 years ago when the book came out. By the way, I'm going to tell you this but you need to know the numbers have improved since the book came out, okay? So right now, 71% of people are still married to their first spouse. Let me say that again. 71%. 71% of people are still married to their first spouse. And here's the amazing thing. The 29% who aren't still married to their first spouse, that includes everyone who was married for 50 years and their spouse died. That's just marriages that have ended. That's not the divorce rate. That includes death and divorce. Now, this is an example of, we don't know what the exact divorce rate actually is, so we have to estimate. This is a perfect example of why it's complicated. But there's about a 14% rate of widowhood. We know it has to be 29% or less, you know, but we don't know exactly what it is. You can, once you look at the rate of widowhood and you look at some other factors, you can kind of squint sideways and say that maybe there's about a 25% divorce rate for first marriages. And now, don't get me wrong, that is still too high, okay? But it is a universe different from this flip the coin idea of 50%. And what this means, remember how I said you take action based on what you believe to be true? This means that if you have a friend who is going through a really rough time in their marriage, you can come alongside them, put your arm around them and say with total truthful confidence, you are gonna make it, most people do. Totally different message. Yes. Okay, so it's not flip the coin. Yes. Why did we ever start thinking that it was 50%? Yeah, 50%. So here is the, there, is, there are two main reasons why we think it's so bad, okay? The first one is statistical, which is in 1972, you know how um, no-fault divorce started? You know, used to be back in the day, you had to convince a judge that there was a reason to get divorced, so in 1972, no-fault divorce started, and you could get divorced just because you wanted to, right? You didn't have to convince a judge. And so at the, at the moment, the divorce rate started just skyrocketing. And because the, there were people because, in really unhappy Because people marriages. were just racing. To, suddenly, they could get divorced because they wanted to. And so all of a sudden, like this, and it hit a peak pretty quickly in 1980, but in that time, in 1972, the demographers of the day said, oh my gosh, if this spike keeps up, we're going to hit 50% someday. But in 1980, it hit a peak and it, because people saw what damage it caused to rush to divorce so quickly. And it has come down dramatically since then. And it has been falling ever since. If you ever hear someone say the divorce rate is rising, stop them immediately. No, it has been falling every, almost every year since 1980. And it's fallen something like 30 or 40%. I would have to look so, at the numbers. So what the, there are certain oh. segments of the population yes. where that rate may be true. Correct. And so here's the key. This, when you see a professor so-and-so at university such-and-such, and, you know, you see an article about a, you know, he projects a 47% divorce rate, okay? Because some people are still 
projecting these high numbers. Mentally, take a giant red pen and circle the word projects. Okay? Those are always projections. We have never come close to hitting that number for society as a whole. Now, as Jeff said, there are some high-risk groups that have hit that number. Like people who get married as teenagers, for example, are much have a higher divorce rate in the first few years. And so, but that's a tiny percent of the population. For the society as a whole, we've never gotten close. Okay, so that's the first, I said there were two reasons we believe this. The first is that people still are projecting these high numbers sometimes, which I think is crazy because we've never gotten close. But anyway, the second reason is it's a structural problem with our sort of culture around news and information which is that unfortunately bad news gets shared and clicked widely and good news doesn't, okay? And, and it's our fault, right? The news articles wouldn't do clickbait of these bad things if we stopped clicking on them, right? So here is, here is an example of this. So often there will be, this happens all the time, where there will be like a, a big research study And the research study finds, let's just say, 10 things, okay? Let's say eight of them are positive, two of them are negative. Guess what the news is going to focus on, okay? The negative ones. So perfect example, a number of years ago, there was a big article in the New York Times with an above-the-fold, you know, main... um, Headline. Main headline that said... what was it? Divorce is contagious. contagious. Divorce is contagious. And it was the result of a study in this town called Framingham, Massachusetts, where they have followed people and studied people since like the 1940s. And it's been like forever and since they're continu- then. The study, the conti- study is, is continuing. a longitudinal study. It still continues. And so they know in this particular town, they do know the divorce rate and they know everything about people's you know, health and they're following rates of cancer and their education and pretty much everything. It's a really interesting sort of social study. And so they had done another wave of this study and the New York Times was reporting on it that divorce is contagious, which what that meant, it sounded really negative, but all that that means is that they found in Framingham that if you are surrounded by friends who've been divorced, you are more likely to get divorced. And if you have been surrounded by friends who mostly didn't get divorced, you are less likely to get divorced, okay? Because it becomes normal, right? So that's what the article said. So I'm reading (laughs) through the, the article and I come across this finding from the research study of the actual divorce rate in Framingham, Massachusetts since 1940, okay? Like the actual divorce rate. You know what it was? 9.5%. Why is it that the New York Times didn't do this massive piece on representative American city has a 9.5% divorce rate? So we just don't tend to hear the very good news about marriage out there. Okay, so... Sorry, I get exercised about this. Can you tell? So that's the first marriages... (laughs) Yes. What about, the El- what about the Ellens of the world? The Ellens of the world. Yeah, Ellen, yes. who's our friend, embarking on a second marriage. Yep. I mean, the numbers are pretty grim, right? For second marriage. You would think and know. So who here has heard these really high numbers for the remarriages, like 60% divorce rate for second marriages? Seriously, raise your hand. Have you heard these? Some of the people, like 60% divorce rate for second marriages and 72% or something for third marriages, like really grim. So my senior researcher and I, Tally Whitehead, we wanted to see how that, the study or studies that came up with those numbers we wanted to see how they got them because sometimes it's about the methodology and, you know, so we basically spent three years trying to track down those numbers. And every news article that mentioned them, we looked at the citation and then we looked at the citation of that citation and that citation. Like we basically tried to to follow them back to the source. Every news article, every magazine, every website, 
And they all trace back to one of three sources that don't exist. It's a pure urban legend. And here's my favorite one. There is a um, Psychology Today article that you will see quoted when people are talking about the remarriage divorce rate. And it quotes a Dr. Jennifer Baker, who is a very well-respected researcher at a group in Missouri called the Forest Institute. And it says Dr. Jennifer Baker found a 50%, 60%, 72% divorce rate for first, second, third divorce rates. So of course we emailed Dr. Baker to say, can we see your study? Because I just wanted to see what her methodology was. This is my favorite one. She emails us back all in capital letters. And it's the email back says, that's not me. I've never said that. I've been trying to get them to take my name off that website for years. It's truly just an urban legend. And so, and there were several of those where literally what people are citing, it doesn't exist. One of the common ones was a Census Bureau table that does exist. Like the Census Bureau table, such and such number, 123.7 whatever it is, it's there, like there is one, but when you go to 123.7 and you look at it, you go, I don't see anything on here about remarriage divorce rates. Like sometimes, you know, maybe it's buried and you have to multiply numbers. So I called a census Shanti was on a first name basis with the people at the (laughs) census. So she'd call and they'd say, hey Shanti, she'd say, hey Rose. Um, Got a question on on, on table 127.3. Yeah. So Rose got another one for you. And so I said, I'm not seeing this. She was like, oh yeah, we've heard that too. We've never said that. We didn't find that. That's not in that table. Is the enemy not so frustrating? And we have to know this stuff so we can counteract it. Can I, and and that was important. Oh wait, I got to tell her the good news about this. Go ahead. Is that okay? Uh, I I was going to get to Ellen. Okay, because this was Ellen, okay? So, so you guys are going, okay, if it's not that, what is it? Well, here's the good news. Just like 71% of people are still married to their first spouse, 65% of people are still married to their second spouse. And here's the thing, the 35% who aren't, remember, that's death and divorce. These people are getting married at older ages there is a high likelihood that a much higher percentage of that is death instead of divorce. It is possible that remarriages have a lower divorce rate than first marriages. No one knows, but that is statistically very possible. And and that news was liberating for Ellen, who then changed her Actions, her plan. As far, her plan of keeping that separate bank account. And they've been married 15 years now? 15 years now. Happily. Happily. Um, let, me, let me bust on us believers, though, just a little bit, because <laughs> we should be people of truth. I have heard this statistic also that Shanti debunked or was not able to confirm. Oh. Maybe you've heard it. I've heard pastors say this, and Sorry, maybe we're gonna, I even said it. We're probably going to yeah, maybe we're gonna make some people unhappy. Are you okay? Which this is was, truth. You guys need was, to know. Here was the, here was the, here's the phrase, that a couple that prays together, those of those couples that pray together regularly, one in 10,000 get divorced. So... If you do that, your chances of getting divorced are very, very small. And we believe that. We believe however, that that is a powerful fact of that couples should pray together. However, no one has ever actually found that. That's another urban legend. However, the, the, the good news It, it apparently is, came from Dr. Phil. I mean, how's yes. that working for you? <laughs> so, it did. It, it, Dr. Phil was quoting, because, I mean, they spent years oh, trying to dig this out. Oh. And apparently there was a guy that Dr. Phil quoted who said it at some sort of 
It was a. It was, it was on a, a video uh, no, cassette. No, it was a cassette, cassette tape. tape series from the 1980s. From the 1980s. And and Dr. Phil quoted it, and so literally my poor senior researcher Tali, she found an old-fashioned tape recorder, and she ordered the cassette series, and she listened to all. 10 hours of this cassette series and never once did he actually say that. So that was an urban legend. But the good news, the, the good news is... That praying together works. Well, and here's, here's why we can say this. This concept of the rate of divorce is the same in the church, okay? Here's the truth about that. That is absolutely the first thing from the truth. It's the reverse. Here is why we think that. Everyone thinks that George Barna, who is a very respected researcher, respected research group, everyone thinks George Barna found that, and he didn't because he wasn't studying people in the church. He, in this particular study that has been misunderstood and misquoted and discouraged so many pastors over the years, what he was studying was actually just belief systems, mental belief systems. So when you call people on the phone and people self-identify as a Christian or a Muslim or a Jew or non-religious or an atheist, those people had the same divorce rates but he specifically excluded whether they went to church from the analysis because that wasn't what he was trying to study. And so I partnered with Barna and we bought that data set. Which and they had collected when they were talking to yes, the people on yes, the phone. Well, all sorts of demographic information. Correct. And one of the things that they had asked them was, was were you in church last week? Okay. And so we re-ran all the numbers with that factor added back in. And here's the astounding news. According to both the Barna data, the same data, and every other study that's ever been done on this, for people who actually attend church regularly, the divorce rate plummets. And that it falls anywhere from, depending on the study, 25 to 50% or more. There was a Harvard study just a couple of years ago that found that churchgoers, their divorce rate dropped 58%. The reality is doing what God says, getting in church, not getting into the habit of out of meeting with one another, and being and hearing the word of God trying to be with others and listen to the Holy Spirit, being in small group, like our testimony was just saying, being in community with others, God tells us to do this, mostly for our relationship with him, but also because he knows it's protective of our relationships with one another, and especially for our marriage. Because if you get into a small group, if you end up having issues in your life, and maybe at some point you have issues in your marriage, someone's going to come alongside of you and say, are you and Bob okay? Right? Like, can we pray for you? Or whatever, come alongside, encourage. That is the power of the church of community. community that God has created. So kind of in the last 12, 13 minutes here, I'd love to kind of segue. And the way is kind of the last myth kind of our, my pet peeve. This is totally your pet peeve. Is, 100%. Is perhaps when you're attending a wedding and even the <laughs> pastor standing in front of that couple with all of their hopes and dreams of the future and they're trying to, the pastor tries to bring a little reality to the situation <laughs> and says, we all know that marriage is hard. And I'm thinking, Really? Is that like the best advertisement we could come up with for this amazing creation covenant that God has put together saying it's hard to do? And I, to be fair, I do think that what they're probably trying to say is that marriage can require hard work. It can require selflessness. It can require being tenderhearted toward one another, trying to understand life the way they see it, not just the way I see it or need it to be. 
but I think what people hear when we say marriage is hard, what people I think hear is, oh, marriage is really complicated, right? Like it's really like significantly serious and complex. And that's where that PhD in psychotherapy with a minor in mind reading comes in. And, and the reality is, is that actually, yeah, it does take hard work, but most people enjoy being married. <laughs> and it's not a... It, the, it's and, not a grind. And, the, and this is what we spent all our time on yesterday, and just we'll talk about briefly, is that there are little things that will actually make a pretty big difference. In your marriage. Well, let's talk about what we have found, at least in this, the study that we did <laughs> okay. on the happiest couples. So move the book to that you item about. number three. Yeah. What can we do? And, okay. and there is what we found, you know, there were about 12 of these different habits yes. that these happy marriages kind of employed in their marriage. That was the book that we were talking about yesterday. And yeah. so in that, the uh, one kind of prerequisite for that happiness, that success, was a belief. And that belief is? It turns out that ha- the happy couples, they choose to believe the best of their spouse's intentions towards them, even when they're legitimately hurt. Because it turns out everybody gets hurt, right? Even the happiest couples hurt each other's feelings sometimes. Even as we said yesterday, even the most godly, kind Christian man or woman can be a jerk (laughs) at times. We just are human. It happens. And yet what we found is that the happiest couples, and by the way, this included, as part of our study group, it included people who had gone from being pretty unhappy, pretty struggling in their marriage to being part of this, the highly happy couples, the happiest couples And one of the main things was that they chose to believe the best even when they were legitimately hurt. Because we all, like I said, we all get hurt. But here's what happens for most of us is when there's that ow, you know, thing like he he knew how that would make me feel and he said it anyway. We don't realize that what we're thinking subconsciously, what that translates to is he doesn't care about me. Right? That's what that translates to. And it turns out that's not actually true. Statistically, something like 99.26% something, something of people really care about their spouse. And so the happiest marriages, they stop that train of thought. This is one of the reasons they got to be so happy. They stop that train of thought and they go, no, mm-mm. No, I know he loves me. I know she appreciates me or whatever. So they must not have known how that would make me feel or they wouldn't have said it. And they replace that with a belief, uh, believing the best of their spouse's intentions. Yeah, the hurt is real, but the intentions are what matter. And and again, um, it's often easy to think that, look, marriage is a two-way street. It takes two of us to to really put in the effort. And that's true. You have to be kind of approaching this with a, a sense of self-sacrifice and putting and preferring the other's interests. But with this believing the best, if you, if just one of you will practice this and begin to do it, it can change one, you, and change your marriage. Um, there was a study done by a professor at the University of Maryland. And in this study, um, he studied these college students in this kind of experiment. And, you know, college students are great because for just a little bit of money, maybe 20 bucks, they'll subject themselves to just about anything. (laughs) And so in this particular study, he had the subject student sitting in a chair. And while they were sitting there, they were kind of hooked up to all these biometric measuring devices, one being like measuring the pulse rate, the... Um, respiration rate, the perspiration rate, the blood pressure, all of those sorts of things. So they were capturing this information from that individual's bodily functions. And they were also hooked up to a cable that ran across the room and disappeared behind a partition. On the other side of the partition was a little machine with a big red button on it. 
And if the button got pushed, it sent an electric current down through that cable and shocked the person sitting there and caused real discomfort and pain. Now, the, the cool thing was they were told different things, the person sitting there. They were told one of three things about the person on the other side of the partition. In one instance, they were told that the person who's pushing the red button knows that it's going to send a shock to them. But they've also been told that it'll help the student win money. Okay. So like a good intention, yeah. right? So in a second instance, they were told that the person hit the button but did it on accident. Didn't mean to do it. And then in a third instance, they were told the person knows that it'll send a shock and they think that's kind of cool. <laughs> so in all three instances, the level of shock was the exact same. But depending on what the person believed about the intentions of the person behind the partition, if they thought they were doing it on purpose for no good reason, it hurt tremendously and registered in all their body's reactions. If they thought they were doing it on accident, it hurt less, even though it was the same amount. And if they thought the person had their best interests at heart, it hurt considerably less. So it was the same shock. All that was different, what was going on inside that person's mind about the intentions of the person. So in our relationships, in our marriage, even though Shanti never does this, but if she were to ever hypothetically say something that hurt my feelings, <laughs> if I can never, believe I never do this. that she cares for me, she didn't intend for that to hurt the way it did, it hurts less. Yeah, we, this is one of those areas, guys, if you will just practice just this one, like it really truly can have this outsized impact, like a little thing that really does make okay, a big so difference. Okay, so we've got a second one. We got a second the one. The second one, gotta, yeah. many of you have probably heard this kind of um, wise statement. And we didn't, this in, is one we didn't cover yeah, yesterday. In, in a relationship, never keep score. Just don't do that. Don't go there. It'll end poorly if you keep score. What we found from the happiest couples is guess what? They kept score. What but, does that mean? <laughs> but they kept score completely differently. Because yeah, 1 Corinthians 13, keep no record of wrongs. Yeah, keeping score of what the other person isn't doing for you or how much they're being obnoxious or whatever, that is gonna be damaging. And yet what we found that the happiest couples did, again, including the people that moved into being in that happiest category, they kept score of what their spouse is giving and they, it like changed their outlook because once you start like looking for it, you're gonna see it everywhere. There is a neuroscientific principle. I want you guys to write this down. And this is biblical and it is neuroscience. What you focus on is what you will see. And this is powerful for keeping track of what the other person is giving because suddenly you start seeing it everywhere and there's so much gratitude that rises up. It's kind of like, you know, that, that, that um, situation that happens when you buy a new car and maybe it's <laughs> yellow. You like yellow. But before you bought that yellow car, you never saw any other yellow cars on the road. But the moment you own a yellow car, there are yellow cars everywhere. And it's, it's crazy. So here's, I love this one story that this pastor shared with us when we were kind of doing an interview on this particular topic. And he said, can I just share a story what just happened last month with my wife and I? And Shanti's like, yeah, great. He said, look, he said, my wife is a registered nurse and one day she was doing her 12 hour shift. And I got in my mind that I was going to win husband of the year. So <laughs> they had four little kids, four little, little kids. Children. So he said, I did all the laundry for the whole week. I did the, you know, I vacuumed the entire house upstairs and downstairs. I even did the dusting. <laughs> and by the time she was coming home, I was going to make her something special, whatever it is that she wanted. 
I was going to make that for dinner. And so in preparation of that, the kids were, I wanted to feed the kids. So I, I got one of those big frozen pizzas and put that in and they are sitting down after the pizza's done and they're sitting around the table eating that and she comes home and she goes... And she hadn't had a very good day. There was a lot that had happened. And she goes, is that all there is? (laughs) And he said, I kept score of everything that I had done (laughs) to win husband of the year. And let's just say it didn't go well from that point on. And, but that's the thing. When we are instead, he said, if I would have approached all of the effort that I was doing, and it was legitimate effort and it was great, but if I would have approached it to, she's working so hard. She does these 12-hour shifts all the time. She takes care of our kids so well. She is a great mom. It is a joy to me to now be able to give whatever it is to her. And that's the difference is the happiest couples, that was one thing that it sometimes took a while, like to change that mindset and focus on what the other person is giving. But I can promise you, if you will look for it, you will see it everywhere. And it'll build that sense of gratitude that we are told to live in with our spouse. And, you know, the truth, we have some big implications of what we've just shared. Yeah. You know? Well, here's the other thing. We live in a world that we want to impact for Christ. Some of us perhaps are gifted evangelists. Some of us feel less so, more nervous about sharing our faith with others. The way that you can represent the kingdom of God and our love of our Father by in your relationships, handling them well, and honoring one another, that's appealing to the world. They want what we have. Yeah. So maybe, can we end with praying for the the marriages of this church? Is that all right? So let's just pray for a minute. Give us a chance to just pray for for you guys and all of the marriages here. Lord, um, thank you for this chance to share with these amazing people who you have called your own, Lord. And for those who are listening, who they may not be so sure of whether they are called your own, Lord. Lord, may this be the day that they make that step. They take that decision. Lord, we pray for every single marriage represented here, whether it is a marriage that is absolutely delightful every day or whether there is a marriage that is struggling or whether there is a marriage yet to come represented by the people here. Lord, do what only you can do and fill these marriages with the power of your Holy Spirit so that they are healed and strengthened to be able to show that a, to show a watching world that following you makes a difference. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you are blessed by this message, be sure to subscribe and send it to someone. And don't forget, you can always share it on your social stories. Stay connected with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. For more information on internship, prayer line, conferences, and other resources, go to HungryGen.com. Remember, better is not good enough. The best is yet to come.